0: Welcome to the Farming on Purpose podcast, a podcast for farmers and ranchers ready to shift for a stronger future. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful are not. On the Farming on Purpose podcast, you'll hear how producers of all sizes and practices are moving mountains for things they believe in, all in the name of an industry that keeps growing and innovating for a stronger food system and stronger farm families. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to discuss where producers are finding success, challenging the status quo, striving for better, and keeping our heritage alive, all while producing the food we depend on. I'm so glad you could join us today. You can support the mission of the Farming on Purpose podcast and be part of the tribe dedicated to building ag legacies at farmingonpurpose.com shop. You'll find apparel, office supplies, stickers, planners, and more, all inspired by the people living out ag legacies every day. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. Today, I'm here with Brad Forby. Brad is a Navy veteran, an entrepreneur, a business owner, a farmer, and a member of the board of directors of Kansas Farmers Veteran Coalition. He's the founder of Leafy Green Farms, which is in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And I've had the honor of visiting his farm there. Um, And it looks a little bit different than most farms. When you pull up, it looks a lot more like an airport there which is kind of confusing when you drive in and you haven't been there before Um, but brad why don't you tell us a little bit more about your history how you came to kansas and how you started this non-traditional farm
1: sure well my name is brad orby and i'm the founder of leafy green farms here in pittsburgh kansas and our farms are unique that in that we grow inside a repurposed uh, refrigerated shipping containers so all of our farms are 40 feet long eight feet wide and nine and a half feet tall every one of them they're all same. Uh, within those farms, we grow produce that is leafy like lettuce Swiss shards spinach arugula things of that nature and we harvest uh, weekly the way we grow our plants is within uh cocoa fiber, peat moss pods, and we take everything from seed all the way through harvest. That entire process takes about eight weeks and we continuously grow. We are climate independent. We don't use any pesticides. We use no herbicides. Uh, We are a very clean farm. As a matter of fact, we only burn about 10 gallons of water a day, which is about 99% less than a traditional farm of our size. And with that, uh, we supply our local food economy uh, with fresh greens uh, year round. Um, our purpose here in Pittsburgh is to raise the nutritional level. And we're trying to do that by putting hyper organic produce into the hands of all the residents. And so that way they can start learning to use fresh food in their diet versus hitting a fat, fast food uh, franchise on the way home from work. Um, what brought me out to Kansas was I lived in California until the pandemic and Kansas was the right opportunity to launch an agricultural business like my own. Uh, Pittsburgh is very innovative and they allowed me to bring a farm that has never been used in Kansas before. Open it, start a business and see if we can make it go of it. I um, since that time, we've been operating for two years now. We started work with the school system to supply uh, vertical farms to the local high schools. So we've started placing those already. And so far it's been a real success. The kids are learning how to grow food vertically without dirt, even in terrible weather. (laughs) And we're learning how to teach people how to grow food. (laughs) So it's been a a perfect partnership.
0: That's incredible. I think um, here as the weather starts to change, a lot of us maybe wish That our farms were in a climate-controlled environment and make things a little bit easier. Um, Where did you decide or how did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Because you don't have a background in farming or growing produce, correct? That's true.
1: That's true. I have no background in anything like this. Um, This all got started with an interest in fish farming. Uh, That was really my first inkling into agriculture. I heard the words fish farming and I laughed. I had never heard that put together. (laughs) From there, I started learning all about fish farming, which led me to aquaponics. From aquaponics, that led me to hydroponics. And when I got to hydroponics, I started really trying to put put together small farms that would be suitable for somebody that lives in California. But in California, most people only have about six feet worth of space by four feet, about what you see in an apartment-sized balcony. I could never get the numbers to work out right to where your effort and energy made growing your own food work um, in such a small space. And then one day, I happened to see a farm like the ones we use that is 40 feet long, and it clicked. It clicked with me like somebody that understands how to play piano immediately. I saw that 40 feet was the magic number. Yes, that's too big for one person, but it's better to have more food than not enough food. So if you're growing excessive food, now you have an opportunity for a food business. And now somebody that doesn't have a traditional size bar or even land can actually grow enough food to supply their family and have a small business on the side. And that's where the interest started.
0: I think <laughs> I think it's the way it starts for a lot of people who decide that they would like to be producers of food though they find this one thing that's like, what is that? And they want to know more and more, especially if they're coming to it from a non-traditional route, you know, not growing up on a family farm or something like that. And I'm interested, kind of a side tangent here, to know your thoughts about that as a society. We've seen a big increase in people who are interested in homesteading, in producing enough food for their family. Um, And what you said there about the energy and the effort equaling out what you get at the end is a real challenge in those situations. Mm -hmm. So making it a business, what kind of things do you think that changes in that equation?
1: Well, I think it, uh, first of all, it strengthens the personal farmer, the person that has interest in it and their immediate community. Because what's the first thing any of us do that grow anything? If you've ever grown tomatoes, you give some away. If you're growing oranges, you give some away. If you're growing lettuce, you give some away. And immediately now you have a little circle And somebody knows you're the lettuce guy, you're the tomato girl. And by the way, I grow mushrooms. By the way, I grow tangerines. And all of a sudden now you're trading and you're both everyone is participating. And I think that's what really we're talking about when it comes to a farming business is participation. No one ever opens a farming business and says, I wonder if I can sell my food. Normally they have people saying, You should sell this and then they try to grow more food. And that's usually where it starts. And we even see that now with the farms that we supply to the high schools, the kids now that run the farms take the excess food to the farmer's market, and they sell that off to help support the farm and the supplies so they get to see the full cycle of their efforts hey we grew this i learned about growing it and i went and packaged it i priced it and i took it to the farmer's market and i sold it so they get to see that entire process of what a traditional farmer or anyone in business or having a job has to go through that where do you fall in that cycle of creating that product to distributing it, to getting it out the door.
0: Absolutely. I think that that little circle you said, there is such a power thing in small communities too. When you become the go-to person for something and then you get to see that transform is that ex- you start exchanging it with other people. It's very powerful.
1: Yeah. Just that's how, you know, I think everyone I talk to that has a CSA or participates in CSAs that you always ask, and that's usually how it started. Now we're sharing this, we're creating a box for her. And next thing you know, it's a small business. And that's great. It doesn't have to be a big business. A small business can keep you busy too.
0: Yeah, that uh, phrase of, you know, people don't set out to start selling it. They, they do it because they love it. And then people tell them they should sell it. When I worked at the From the Land of Kansas program, which I know you're familiar with From the Land of Kansas, and we've had... um Sammy, the director on the podcast before, but th- I'd say that was what almost all of their stories started out like too. It was just like that. Well, we were making this, and people really liked it, so they they begged us to sell it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, we have a joke around here on our farms, and that is, um, if your kid doesn't like arugula, your kid's never grown an arugula. Mm-hmm. And we see that all the time. That. We have small children that come through here, and we, when we started getting the farm's operational, it looked different, and looked weird, and they would come in just to look. And no one was very interested in what we were doing. And then we started growing things, and then they, they started seeing things that were very small, and then they'd come back a week or two later, and they were bigger. And pretty soon, they would open the door, and they would see a farm filled with things that are growing. And that got their interest. Well, when are we going to take some and sow When are we going to try that? I've been watching this plant grow since it was tiny. And now they have a vested interest in it. And now all they can think about is, how are we going to cook that arugula? When are we having that arugula? When are we having that lettuce? So you can see it. And that's where we are trying to get to is, getting people talking, especially kids, about nutrition and food early, before their habits are set, before they think all meals come in a bag, (laughs) you know, and let them understand that you can kind of control what you're going to eat. And the great thing is you can actually plan for it. You know that if I plant my seeds now, when they're going to be ready.
0: That, uh, yes, that, that before the habits are set is so key because I know a lot of us, we grow up with certain food experiences and it's very hard to change them. Um, there's a whole industry dedicated to trying to change your diet for, you know, one reason or another, whether it's health or image or whatever. Um, it's crazy to think about how young those experiences matter. Um, you know, I didn't really think about asking this when, before we started this interview, but do you think that the lack of experience with agriculture and with growing your own food, is that why many people are just not interested in those types of food? Or does that play a role, you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's just like anything else. Have you ever noticed, you know, you see a family and maybe they're out at the state of drag races that, you know, you can see that oh, the kids are interested, mom's interested, dad's interested. They all have this common interest. and But they live next door to somebody that's never been to a drag race because it was this focus of this one family. And I think that's the same with anything, that sometimes we find a focus because there's that interest coming from the parents and it trickles its way down. But if the parents are busy working a job or two jobs or three, and all they see is, hey, I got to go pick up the kids. We're going to try to grab some food real fast, they're not thinking, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store, buy some produce, and start making a meal. The meal comes last. That's the last thing in anyone's uh, to-do list of the day. Let's get through that fast so we can get on with doing laundry, doing dishes, cleaning the house, homework. So it gets left behind. But if you're growing that food, then there's going to probably be a conversation at the dinner table. How do the plants look today? Did you water? Did you clean out the shed? Did you leave the tools out? So that gets it into your bloodstream. Now you're thinking about where the food comes from and you're seeing the results of that work. And I think that participates into, just like if somebody gives you a gift versus you earning it, you always appreciate just a little bit more.
0: Absolutely. I think what you said there really shows your interest in educating the youth um, there. And that's become a big part of what you guys do at Leafy Green Farms. Was that always part of the plan or did that kind of come later? How did that happen?
1: It was never part of the plan. As a matter of fact, not only you know if we had a plan. <laughs> um, the, the way that happened was. Purity by accident, and that's what I really love about Kansas and just the opportunity of having a business, is I was working in the farm, um, and this is one of our very first few months in business, the farm door opened up, and a man stepped in who I'd never seen before, and he started talking to me, and he asked me all kinds of questions about the farm, and he said, I never even knew that Kansas had a farm like this. And as he talked, I found out that he was a school teacher here in Pittsburgh. His name was Anthony and he's a chef. And he loved the idea of having fresh produce at the school. From there, he said, could I bring some teachers down and show them what you're doing? And I thought, yes. Pretty soon they came down with more teachers. Pretty soon those teachers asked, can I bring some students? Pretty soon the students came and then the more faculty came. And next day, I knew we were in a meeting saying, "How can we get one of these bars on our school grounds to teach the kids?" And after that, the plan started. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> and there was no plan.
0: <laughs> That's amazing to have those kind of relationships built in a community just based on what you guys are doing, and and them recognizing how amazing what you're doing is. What's that um, look like as the program has grown? And what's that looking like now that you're expanding?
1: You know, that has been a real blessing for us. The uh, Kansas Department of Education has really gotten behind us from the beginning. From the beginning, they saw uh, a great opportunity to not only educate, but to feed the kids. That, hey, our byproduct of teaching is really wholesome good lettuce and other greens. We moved that into the cafeteria. So they got right behind us. The state has gotten really right behind us as well, seeing that there's tremendous payoffs. And then lastly was the USDA, who has given us a grant to help build out this to the other schools in Southeast Kansas. So now we're on track to put seven more farms into schools in Southeast Kansas. As we get begin to expand out to the other hundred and hundred counties or so, ninety-eight <laughs> counties left
0: Are they all using the farms or planning to use the farms in the same way? Is it a um, you know run by the kids to support the food program in the school?
1: Yes, uh, everyone is using them about the same, just a little different. The faculty is really you know say creating that curriculum and they're sharing it with the other schools on what they're going to teach, what classes are going to use the farms. The kids are say managing the farms, doing some of the farm labor and so on. But in some of the schools that have been chosen for this uh, program, they are, for lack of a better, better words, low income or schools that need some extra help, that the students need extra help or assistance. So those schools are starting to look at sending the excess food out with the students on weekends to guarantee that they have some nutritious food in the refrigerator over Saturday or Sunday and or over the holidays. So we love that idea. Yeah, if they're just going to have harvest days where, you know, hey, when you're picking up your kids, you can grab a, a bag of greens on your way out the door as well. So we like the idea that there's a net flexibility that the schools could adapt to what the community needs. Mm-hmm. And not all communities have, say, a really good farmer's market, so instead of some letting something just go to waste, they're figuring out a way of getting it into the uh, the food economy.
0: Yeah. And if you haven't already there, it's a lot easier to find ways for those kids to figure out options that they enjoy eating that food. Like you said, they're a lot more invested in it because they've been seeing it grow from the little seed. Um, yes. It, and that I think plays a huge role, at least it does with my kids and honestly with me personally. Um, you know, we have been trying to expand our garden here at home, and planting things is hard to do because I'm like, well, I'm not really sure anybody's going to eat this. <laughs> uh, so, figuring out ways that those kids will eat the food um, and find, you know, ways that they'll enjoy it, I think is challenging if it's something they're not used to is that something that the schools are working on or haven't had any challenges with
1: you know actually they have great success stories because there's pride of ownership um the kids i've heard this story more than a few times that kids are walking into the cafeteria and you'll hear somebody saying that's my lettuce <laughs>
0: that's,
1: you know because they're their salad bar they can see it from across the room you can see lettuce that was maybe grown out of the country has been transported in the process versus fresh lettuce that was picked this morning. So they can recognize it, you know, from across the world that that's, that's mine. That's mine. And you, obviously take some pride and ownership all that that you want you want to eat it you you want to bring it out you want to share with the family you want to tell them the difference between what the butterhead looks like versus the red oak leaf and why the arugula has a little more taste than the spinach so yeah pride of ownership getting them involved it's like anything else once you start learning something about it then you start noticing more you may You may never notice a Volkswagen, you know, beetle on the road ever, but you buy one and all of a sudden that's all you do notice. Same type of thing with farming, I think.
0: Well, that's great to hear that they're having that kind of success. That's my lettuce. That's that's fun. Very cool. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the mechanics of the farms. I love that you guys call it a farm still, because I think a lot of people that do vertical farming they they start to transition away from that term but it really brings home to me the the importance of what you guys are doing and how it, it is farming it may not look like we always imagined farming to look but it is it's it's farming and producing food um so mechanic wise what was it about the 40 feet that made that easy when you were figuring out how this was all going to fit together, what kind of challenges did you run into kind of how did that all come about?
1: My biggest challenge was I had never been inside a farm like the one I have. Um, And because like buying any farm equipment or purchasing a farm, you have some upfront costs. You really do. And um, whenever you talk to any type of bank or lender, the first question they're gonna ask you is your experience. And if you can imagine going into the FSA office or any bank office saying, I'd like to buy a farm, and then you go, have your how long have you been farming? You say, never. <laughs> and then you say, well, you know, I really think I'm gonna be good at it. And they go, okay, you know, what was the last farm like this you were on? You say, I've never been to one. It becomes a challenge. And that was our biggest challenge was we we're asking people to take a leap of faith with, the, with us on something that they've never heard of and that they've never seen and they couldn't touch. I had many meetings where I convinced people that I'm going to grow the best lettuce around and this business will not fail. And they said, fantastic, can I taste the lettuce? And I would have to fess up and say, well, I've never grown a head of lettuce before, but I guarantee it's going to be the best. And that is where when you're starting a new business, you have those challenges. You have to think around the corner. You have to think. I know what I want. Now, how can I explain it to somebody that's never met me? And going with this type of farming, you had, just like with micro farming, uh, you're growing micro or fish farming. If you're the only person doing it, you have a great chance of success, but you're always going to have a hard time teaching everybody else what you're trying to do. Uh, the way we've overcome that is we just did it. Um, and I have talked to many people and said, did you, you know, do a, uh, a study? Did you, you know, did you have any, you know, agencies look into this? No, you start growing it and you start growing the food and you start selling the food and all of a sudden, okay, now it's making sense. And you start figuring out the mechanics of how much water do I use? How much am I spending going out the door? How much is coming back in? And then you start working on say those mechanics on what makes it a business because you make anything a business, but it doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to be a profitable business.
0: (laughs) True. (laughs) True. Well, um, I appreciate that you explaining that the process that that was like, because I think that is something that is a little different from what a lot of farmers and ranchers that listen to this podcast, what their experience might be going to the bank. Um, It's a completely different conversation than Oh, I've never done this. And also this is going to be something you've never seen before. There's nothing to compare it to. Um, because I think that conversation is around the corner for a lot of farmers and ranchers as we start to see more of these innovative practices. And we have to be able to get those lenders on board for this innovation to happen. Was there a lot of no's? What was that? How long was that process? What was it like?
1: There were all no's. Um, it was all those, and I can tell you, uh, if this was during the pandemic as well, so no one was doing meetings. And what got this whole business off the ground literally was one Zoom call like this. Um, we couldn't get anywhere. I was with the banks, so I was SBA, uh, FSA, and every else or every penny I had was tied up into going into the business. And I didn't, still didn't have enough to say, get that business loan for them to say, yes, we will support this. And the Kansas Healthy Food Initiative, uh, it gave me a meeting. I explained it to them and they said, yes. And they gave me a grant for $15,000. And that $15,000 in the life of business is not a lot, but at that very moment, that was the tipping point for me. I was able to go to my bank, show them a letter from Kansas Healthy Food Initiative saying they support this idea here at Pittsburgh. And my bank was, okay, we will now support you because they supported you. And that is what got that first, that very first farm in. And once we were able to do that, we could show a proof of concept that we can do it. And then they started setting challenges. Okay, you have a farm. Now make it grow something, show us you know, that final product. And we were able to do that. And along the way, we kept meeting those challenges on the timelines and what they needed to see. And we were finally able to do it. But I contribute all of this, that, that initial grant by somebody saying, yep, we believe in you. And I think they generally supported me with the idea that you may Bell. But if he doesn't, you know, we're going to have a new avenue of looking at this and having a new way of feeding ourselves, especially in poor climates or weird areas where not everyone has access to food or fresh food. I love our farms are so small they're three 320 square feet. We are concentrating on placing these in small community, rural communities that never get any support. We want to put these behind the local grocery store so they can now help their customers by supporting them by having fresh produce. I love that idea that you don't have to have a thousand acres in order to make the difference. 320 square feet and you can start growing food.
0: 320 square feet is a lot more doable when you go to the bank, too.
1: (laughs) Yes, Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah,
0: And that's wow. what, that's where a lot of farmers, I think, or and people who want to get into farming are going to have to be with the way that we see land prices going. That's that's not going to be an option, um, and losing the fa- the amount of farmland that we do every day. It's it's things are going to be different, and it's kind of scary and also inspiring to think about when we look at what you're doing um, oh. to know that we're not going to be just you know all going hungry and starving there are people that are working on how do we do this how do we do this small how do we do this manageable um what kept you going through that process because it sounds like a very challenging challenging situation
1: i had everything on the line so you couldn't know, yes you had to do it i actually looked to see if my futon fitness or just in case <laughs> just in case. It, it, we were down to that. It, it had to work. It had to work. Had to work. And that, that inspires you. That inspires you to show out of Saturday. That inspires you to check on your plants on a Sunday, even when you don't ought to. That, that motivates you. You know, failure is a great motivation.
0: <laughs> you were all in, futon and everything.
1: <laughs> all in. 100%. Still live. Still live. I just, now it just, I, I, I laugh because I used to think, I had everything under control and now I've learned that I have to just manage the uncontrollable. I, I don't have control of everything. You know, you just have to manage your processes and you're refining your processes for running your business always and you have to look back every month and say, What could I have done different? What should I have anticipated? And and you try to make next month a little bit better than last month.
0: Very true. So um, tell me a little bit more about the farms. You said they're 320 square feet. I think that's kind of hard for folks to imagine what that looks like and how you're doing that. So what does it look like on the inside as best we can explain? I'll try to post some pictures in the show notes too. Um, Then what kind of things are you able to grow and kind of what that growing process, how did it ramp up?
1: Okay. Um, well, our farms are three or 20 square feet. They're in any inside of a shipping container. So if you can imagine any shipping container you ever drive past, just a map thing inside that bar inside that container could be a farm, and you'd never know it because there's no windows. Um, our farms are, they use their space extremely well. If you can imagine being on a boat or a ship, but place for everything and everything is placed there, there is no extra room. Um, within that, um, uh, with the growing cycles, we grow uh, a few different ways. I normally will do a harvest once a week. So I'm on a weekly rotation. Some of our farms, I will rotate out once a month where I just let everything grow and I put them all on one cycle and we do one har- one large harvest a month with that. I try to give myself a variety of, of greens to grow. We grow anything that is leafy, like lettuce, spinach, arugulas, basils, herbs, um, things like uh, tomatoes I cannot grow. I, I can't grow a pumpkin or a cucumber, things like that. It really has to be that leafy type of vegetable. So I will plan out my say, menu of what I hope to have a few months down the road. I will order my seeds and from seed. We will take it from seed to seedling to all the way through our harvest and then start back again. When you're trying to imagine my farms, uh, they take up the space of two and a half car spaces. So when you pull into a parking lot, just look. And if you look at two car spaces back to back, my farm just takes up a little bit more room than that. So we get a lot of thing for our buck. And because of that, we can put them in unique spots that don't normally would support anything versus agriculture i have them in a parking lot right now that would just be wasted space you can put them in an the underpass um, with our farms i don't even have them connected to water i actually use bottled water i burn 10 gallons of water a day so i use five gallon bottles of water and i will fill my take up once a week so you can literally put a farm anywhere and i think that is are gonna be one of our keys to success is a, doesn't mean that you have to have a thousand acres. It doesn't mean you have to have a combine. You can just start small, and if you're great at it and your farm is doing well, you can always add a second farm. And they're all the same, so you know exactly what to do and how to run it.
0: Was the size of that the shipping container a? Is that the best size? Like I know it's easy to get shipping containers to put them in, but is. A larger farm would that be more efficient, less efficient? Have you guys thought about what that might look like?
1: Yes, yes, and I have watched my competitors go to the wayside because what you start doing is you start working with something that works well, and the first thing you think is let's change it, let's expand (laughs) it, make it bigger. And normally, what I have seen is it goes from a farm like mine, and then they say what if I was to get a warehouse? What if I was to buy a building and convert it and use the same technology to grow inside? And I see that and what you end up doing is you are putting more money into say real estate and refurbishing something than you are to growing. So now you're, you know, uh, you're rebuilt, you're a builder now, you're doing other things and you're, you're removing yourself from the farming a little bit more. And I think a lot of people, start getting distracted that now I'm not cost to grab farming. How can I cost to grab farming? I'm trying to get the electrician out here to do this or out here to do this. I love the size of our farms because a, I can transport them anywhere because they're a shipping container. They're made to be shipped. Second, because I know the size and because they're the exact same. If I am very good at growing things in one, I can now do the simple math to say, what do I have to pay to, Double my harvest, and I can look at it and say, "I don't." I can maybe stack it on top. I don't have to buy more of that. I can only take up a little few more feet and put one beside it, and it gives me that little bit more options to grow. Uh, versus saying, "Okay, now I'm going to try something new. I'm going to go from what I know and start building a building to do something different." So with that, I I, I like how we we're, we're very modular. I can look at it. And say from the micro, here's what one farm will produce. Here's what five farms produce. And here's the manpower you'd need between the two.
0: Uh, That increases your controllables. As you mentioned earlier, you have to know what manage the uncontrollables. That's a really great way that you already know what your numbers are. So you don't have to be guessing and and wondering.
1: Now, knowing what your cost of goods are um, is going to always come down to it. They're all, and anyone and everyone's always going to ask you that. And it's a much easier way to talk when you're saying, I'm going to do the exact same thing versus I'm veering off course now midstream and I've been in business for two or three years. You know, a bank doesn't want to see you go off course if you've been in business for 15 years. (laughs) So um, that you're just getting started. They want to see you replicate and replicate. And and I love that about the side of the arms.
0: So you mentioned that you can't grow things that are not like leafy greens. So the leafy greens are where you're at. And just to give a little bit more um, understanding of what it looks like when you open the door to one of your shipping containers um, and the farm, it's, it's kind of like curtains is what I would describe it as. The plants are growing in curtains um, that are movable. And how many rows of those do you have? What other kind of um, elements are important to to the inside of the farm?
1: Well, uh, we grow, I have four uh, columns. And those columns hold towers, which are described as curtains. Each tower, um, there's 256 total towers in the farm, and each tower will hold about 10 plants. So about 2,500 plants give or take. At any given time, uh, all the plants are fed on the same watering system. They all are drawn from the same light. And the lights are what provides the heat for the farm. And the air conditioner it typically runs most of the year, and that provides, you know, keeping the temperature right, keeping the humidity right. And uh, I don't have to heat it because of the lights. So I kind of play off that a little bit in the summertime. I, I make sure that. Uh, lights come on late at night or off early in the morning and, and so on. Um, the farms are definitely difficult to describe until you step foot in one. They they are very unique. I encourage anyone to go to our website, org, to see what they look like. Um, but they but they are very efficient on space. Um, We can usually move around in there pretty efficiently. I, I harvest, and again, I always go back to, because they're all the same, it's wonderful that you can have a farmer from one farm walk into another farm and just start working. They know where the scissors are. They know where the water is. They know where the paper towels are because they're all laid out the same. So that helps with controlling your cost of goods as well because it's not always, you're not always on a, a training curve. You know, you, we can get our uh, people, our, our interns or new boys up to speed pretty quickly because everything is so repetitive.
0: So on these ones that you're harvesting once a month, do you go in there and check on things? I know you have, um, you can check a lot of the things from your phone to see how the systems are doing. But Mm -hmm. do you go in there at all during that month or what's that look like? Oh, yes.
1: Yes. Yes. I I am a traditional farmer. And as in in the mornings, the first thing I do is I look at my plants. I I have to visualize what's going on. That's usually to tell me. When I open the door in the morning, I can normally tell if my farm's healthy just by the smell. I can know that, you know, okay, something's off. I can tell by the temperature something's off. Uh, you know, uh, I can hear, I can smell, you know, if there's any kind of contamination, if I have algae growth, and anything like that. Um, and that comes from farming. Far- traditional farmers are the same way. You, know, you see a, cor- a farmer grab a corn and call the corn of a stock and he knows everything. That tells him You know, everything about us, about us farmers. So we're pretty much the same way. I can monitor everything off the phone. I can make adjustments from my phone so I don't have to come down to the farms in the middle of the night to adjust water or adjust feeding or anything like that. But at the end of the day, there's something to be said for just being able to lay eyes on your farm. And again, that's where I go back to having them anywhere you need. Is wonderful versus I have talked to traditional farmers who live in one town and drive to another to where they own land. Mm-hmm. There are there's going to be those times you're thinking I don't want to get in my car and drive over there. You know it's bad weather, it's rainy, there's snow on the road. I don't want to look, and those are the times you have to look. <laughs> so it, it's it's nice that when you can say I'm just going to step out my door, walk in my farm and look it over and you'll be ducky. So yes, you can get the information from every sensor that you can pull, but there's nothing like being able just to touch your own plants and go, oh, yep, they're healthy.
0: And it's very peaceful when you walk in there. It's a, kind of a dark, quiet, and then the lights on the, the columns that you call them. Um, very, very neat to just walk in and see that. Touch
1: that the people that work as farmhands for us have some of the best jobs around. Because I used to do it. I used to be the guy in the farms just farming all day. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful place to work. It's very quiet. It smells great. You work with fresh food. At the end of the day, you can see accomplishment. You can see that you harvested food, you planted food. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm in this. Anyone that works for me, I go in there and I think, yep, yep, you got a great job. <laughs>
0: that's good. Um, a lot of what we, you described, um, in the direction that you guys are going is about increasing the level of nutritious food available to your area. Um, has that always been important to you? Is that one of the reasons that you got started with farming? Um, you know, I mean, people do farming for all kinds of different reasons. Some of them, the, the health of the food is very important.
1: Yes. Um, yes, that was really, uh, one of the core reasons was nutrition. Um, I come from California in California. I lived in a large city, Sacramento, and I knew no matter what I did, I was never going to be able to say, make a change. There isn't going to be no difference. I was going to be able to make, When I decided to come to Pittsburgh population 20,000 and start farming I set a lofty goal with the other rest of the team that we can change nutrition in a town like this. In a smaller town, we can move that nutritional needle just by infusing better food. And it's not that we have to grow it all, but by talking about it, it gets other people talking about it, it gets restaurants interested in, well, where else can I buy local grown food? And now people are thinking, okay, I can do it too. It's not that expensive. Or maybe a, a restaurants that have never bought from local producers find out, well, hey, they're pretty approachable. I can go ask the lettuce guy, can I buy some lettuce from him or the mushroom guy or this guy or that guy? And that's where, that's where that comes from, is we believe that in a town like this, in a state like Kansas, we can get people talking nutrition, yeah, we can move that needle. We can we can move it. I've seen crazier things.
0: The opportunity to make an impact. Very neat. Yeah. Um and I think I I agree with that. I worked on an orchard um in college and I'm from western Kansas originally. And fresh produce especially is not super easy to come by there. A lot of times what you can get in the grocery store is underripe um or over ripens very quickly um which is no fault to the people in those communities that's just what they have available access to um, but coming and working on an orchard in college and getting to pick fresh strawberries and peaches and blackberries right from the tree or the the bush was changes your opinion about some of the foods you thought maybe you didn't like pretty quickly
1: yes well I noticed right away coming from California. I always assumed that in Kansas your grocery stores would have really fresh produce. And I came out here and I found it to be the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do it. I can't believe that with all this farmland, most of the things that are being farmed are being shipped out. Uh, you know, that you know, how many people are going to the grocery store and buying soybeans? You know, they they're just they're just not. So it's like, yes, okay. I I get it now, Uh, it it is not an equal plane um, across the country. Different communities struggle with different things. And one thing I know to be true, and I've seen it, that if you look at the nutritional level of a community and the income level of that community, they are almost hand in hand. And if you go to a very affluent community, that everyone's making good income, they have good healthcare, by the way, they have good food too. That's just how it works. Um, I'm two hours away from a Whole Foods around here. There, You know, that is just, it's not an option for com- communities like this. So again, that's why I know that by growing the food here, I don't have to ship it across the country in order to make a profit. I can just sell it here where, where it's gonna be grown and consumed and we can save the money and all of that Fuel, (laughs) and we won't have to throw so much away on the other side because it was contaminated or got overripe being delivered.
0: Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. The the decrease in shipping costs and use of fuel to do so makes a big difference.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, From your standpoint, you guys have been working a lot with schools, and you've mentioned potentially grocery stores um, to get. Your farms on their locations. Is that something? Are you building those farms for them? Um, Is that something that you build these farms for just other people who want to buy a farm like this to diversify their own? Yes, actually,
1: both. Uh, Or the school, or schools, uh, or individuals, or other businesses that may have that need. Um, So we're kind of open to all of that. And right now, our next phase has already been with uh, training. We're looking to do more organized training. I'm working with the VA to start some veterans training for vets who are looking to, say, transition from the military and go into agriculture. This gives them, you know, one more, you know, bow in their quiver that they can, well, I don't own a lot of land, but I do have an interest in this. This also allows... um, vets who maybe have some disabilities to actually work in agriculture where they couldn't be sitting on a a traditional tractor or working in the fields but they could say to be working in the backyard uh, within climate control so with that it really goes back around to you know what what that person's needing, you know, is it somebody that's say for education, um, schools, or looking for a little bit different, something different versus a person saying, I own a restaurant. I just need to be able to produce a lot of lettuce. <laughs> Everyone has a different need and we try to accommodate that. And if we can't accommodate, we actually just tell them we can't.
0: Gotcha. When, um, people hear, things like this. I think it sounds like a really neat way to diversify an existing farm um, and to provide some other revenue streams. Is that something that has been tried out with you guys? Is that something that's realistic for growing farms to be considering?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, I've been approached by that by traditional ranches and farms that need to still have staff on uh, all year round. And now that th- all of a sudden they're not growing, <laughs> and you know, so they don't have their own gardens and they count on their own food most of the year. So they've been looking at, ah, they can bring one of these on, they have more than enough room, you know, they're, and they're they're accomplished growers anyways. And this provides them enough that, okay, we can be feeding our staff. We have some excess for some of the horses or the goats or rabbits. Um, talking about good fodder, things like that. So yeah, we're really seeing this as that other tool for anyone that's looking to get into agriculture that, hey, maybe I have a ranch. I don't want to farm, farm, but I do need fresh food. So mm-hmm. I get those comment call- or those calls quite often. And, and some people are kicking tires, just trying to understand it. And that's one thing that we always offer is since we're in Kansas, we're in the middle of the country, come visit us. Come just to- look, see if, once you walk inside, maybe you'll think, nope, this is not for me. Or maybe you'll be thinking, hey, this answers a lot of my questions or this solves some of the problems. And that's all we're looking for is, uh, I think usually the people that are looking for the solution will realize right away, I don't have to ask me anything. They can say, yep, that solves my problem. Now, what's my next step? And that's where we go from there.
0: So what is some of the next steps that they might take if they come visit or let's say go online and see what you guys have there and are like, wow, this is this is for me. This would do what I need it to do. What do they do from there?
1: Okay, well, typically what a am going to say what a school will do uh, with us is they will submit a letter to us to say a matter of interest saying that who I am and I have an interest in one of your farms and maybe I'd like to come out and visit uh, from there. Uh, We will invite them out. They can visit with the farm. Maybe maybe they'll spend a few hours working in the farm with me and I'll work with the teachers to explain um, the process. And because of how the farmers are laid out and the science behind it, I can take you from, um, you know, seeding to harvest within an hour. It's all within there. And that way you can have that overall understanding of how how would this even operate on our school? Or how would this operate for my business? Then from there, we'll start putting a plan of action together. On uh, For schools, it's typically funding and staffing. Uh, for an individual, maybe it's just funding. That, hey, I'm going to work in the farm myself. My wife's going to help me or something like that. And now they're just looking at doing some funding. Uh, for somebody like that, what they normally need is they need a place to send their bank. So the bank can come and see the farm and walk it and kick the tires just like they would be on any other equipment and take it from there or their insurance company. Uh, That was a challenge for us, getting insurance at the very beginning. But now that we have insurance, it's gonna be easier for all the next guys to get insurance because once a, a company like an insurance company writes that policy, they know what they need to see, we've satisfied it, and that helps the next guy get his policy a little bit easier.
0: You're blazing the trail. It's always, easy, I have to say. It's always
1: the individual, you know. For what somebody's looking for, we we're flexible to them. We're not so big that we don't we don't uh, adjust.
0: You guys are really blazing the trail for this kind of thing to happen. Um, I know that that process was probably really hard, um, as you said. You got a lot of no's. You had to. You were all in. Um, yeah. But having someone who has done it now and has seen this success really. You did the hard part for everybody else. So glad that you did. Yeah. Glad you stuck with it.
1: Me too. Me too. Now, yes. I and I would tell anyone that's starting a new business, farming, or anything else, just persevere. That you know, I I was told to no so many times, so many times, but you just have to keep doing it. You just I kept growing. I kept trying. I kept having more plants. You know, and and eventually things get, ta- you just get caught up that people are saying it's never going to work. You're thinking, well, it's working, you know? So now, now what's the next objection and pretty soon you're just past that. And I look back at the, and all those no's and just uh, as all of a uh, badges of honor that all those people have said, it's never going to work. It's just not going to work. And now I think, oh, you know, I go to a meeting I have a big team now. (laughs) Crazy.
0: It is crazy. So um, one of the last questions I have is how many people does it take to do what you guys are doing there? Um, Uh, Because you have several farms now. You're doing other things. You're expanding all over the place. So how many people does it take to farm and to grow?
1: Okay. Well, the first question is a bit easier. Uh, On a traditional farm like mine. Um, We normally figured it out for about 25 hours a week. Um, You need about 25 hours a week in one of those farms. And that's perfect for say that single farmer or that couple that has this in their back 40. That's perfect. Now, when you start adding to it, it doesn't just double. Because as you build your business out, well, now that you have two farms doesn't mean you just need two farmers. Maybe you need two farmers and one supply specialist. Well, now you have five farms you need maybe four farmers, a payroll person and a manager. So it starts adding up like that. And uh, for our business, we have now split into with the schools that I have, people that work with the education system. And then myself and others, we work with the veterans that, you know, that my interest lays with getting more veterans aligned with we're going to teach them how to grow this way. We're going to give them some options. And with a little luck, they'll come work for us. That I always have that need. As we expand throughout Kansas, I have a at parts of Kansas that no one knows what we're doing. There is no one that I can pull from that has any experience. So I know I have to train them. And now I'm trying to train people to go back home where they're from in Kansas so that they can either open their own farm or help the school farms in their area. So it's a great, it's a great challenge to have. It's a great problem to have. I'm very happy about that.
0: You're such a positive um, person and you have such a positive outlook when you look at these challenges. I don't think that is something that everyone approaches those situations with. I, I, we've had general bunting on the podcast before that works with veterans at the save farm. Um, and I mentioned to him that you were going to be on the podcast and he was really excited to hear that because a lot of the challenges that you just mentioned of training and creating those opportunities for veterans to transition into agriculture are the ones that he faces too. Um, but yeah, that you'd have such a unique approach to those problems. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because these things that you're addressing, it's not just growing I th- the the plants. I think so many of us that get involved in agriculture, we're like, okay, I just want to work with my plants. I just want to work with my animals. That's my thing. But you so willingly are ready to take it and give it to others. And that's very inspiring.
1: You have to, that, that is, you, you know, you have to, don't tell me that that wonderful chef that opens a restaurant, gets to spend his time in the kitchen. He doesn't, he, or she doesn't, they have to start doing other things. You, that's what you do. And I'm glad you mentioned Joe roe a wonderful person. I've been to State Farm. I support their mission a thousand percent. I hope that we can continue working with them in the future. Um, and they are one of the very first people that we are looking to be sending out a farm to. I can't wait to get a farm up um, to them. They will do wonderful things with it.
0: They will, they will. And um, what you said there of uh, the person, the chef that opens the w- wonderful kitchen, is not the one in the kitchen. Um, that reminded me of some really good advice I heard once that as a business owner, your job is to work yourself out of a job so that you have to go get a new one because then you know your business is growing if you have to go solve the next problem and you have the people following you to do the ones you've already solved.
1: Uh, That's right. I've already hired my Uh, (laughs) replacement. I'm I'm convincing her every day that she wants my job. So now my job is to make myself look like I'm not working. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much coming on and sharing what you guys are doing there with our listeners. Um, It's such an innovative and unique approach. And I just appreciate not only your outlook on how you address this goal, this big goal that you have to increase the level of nutrition, but also how you're bringing this different kind of farming to Kansas. So thank you so much, Brad.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. it was wonderful visiting with you. Thank you for visiting the farms and anything I can never do, just please do not hesitate.
0: If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or join the conversation on social media. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss or know someone with a story to share? Apply to be a guest on the podcast at farmingonpurpose.com. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, on your favorite social media platforms for more content by searching for Farming on Purpose. And remember, if you look around your table and aren't inspired by the people there, it's time to find a new seat.